0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled dot lcom slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to
1: the RoadWire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And today, we're going to be talking all Red Sox, the future of the Red Sox, and I've got my friend Jake Devereaux from Over the Monster here. Uh, Jake was first on the podcast when we were doing the Rotowire Dynasty mock draft over the offseason. And uh, I believe at that time, Jake was out in front on uh, Garrett Whitlock being a starter. Tanner Houck maybe fitting better in relief uh, before those were kind of uh, trendy calls to make. And uh, I thought Jake would be a great guy to have on today uh, to talk about Nick York and and other stuff, but it also just happens to be uh, Brian Bayo's MLB debut tonight. So we'll be able to talk about that a little bit too. Uh, But first, Jake, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, James. Thanks for having me back to the show again. And uh, I'm super psyched, as everybody is in Red Sox Nation, about Brian Bayo's debut tonight. So perfect day to come on the show and chat some prospects.
1: Yeah, of course. And uh, we'll be getting to Bayo. We'll be getting to, you know, Casas, and York, and uh, Marcelo Mayer, um, but I uh, just kind of want to start with sort of an overview of the Red Sox, this, this new-ish regime uh, headed by Heim Bloom. Uh, what's kind of been your sort of impressions since they took over in terms of just acquiring talent, developing talent, uh, sort of where the, the direction of the team is sort of headed? Well...
2: I think that um, Bloom really values depth, and I think that's part of what he learned uh, you know, coming up in the Rays organization, and uh, we've seen that definitely uh, throughout his tenure here with the Red Sox, and it's been a sort of a weird tenure because he came in at the end of 2019 and then COVID hit, so he, he hasn't really had as many opportunities as we thought that he probably would to add to the depth of the system. Uh, But nonetheless, I mean, he's done a tremendous job with that. So um, he's now got two uh, draft classes, the 2020 Red Sox draft class and the 2021 class, as well as two international signing period classes um, sort of attributed to him and and the people that are working under him. Um, And he's done a really good job of identifying talent. I think when we go back to the 2020 draft, the big pick that sticks out was was Nick York and I think at the time everybody was thinking oh man they really overdrafted this kid they probably could have got him in the third round but um, they had you know a very strong conviction that uh, Nick York was somebody who wasn't going to be there when the third round came along because they didn't have a second round pick that year um, so I think that 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 was a pick with tremendous foresight and then if you look at the 2021 draft, there's some really interesting things going on there. Uh, the fact that Marcelo Mayer dropped all the way down to four, um, that was a tremendous gift to Heim, Bloom, and co. Um, but then if you you dig into that draft a little bit more, Nathan Hickey, who they took uh, fifth uh, out of Florida, he's a catcher there, uh, he's been playing really well. And then all the way down the 11th round, they signed Nico Cavadas mm-hmm. uh, from Notre Dame for an overslot uh 250k over slot there um and he's just mashed the hell out of the ball uh so far i mean he's got uh an obp of 5.13 right now uh with a whole boatload of home runs 18 home runs across two levels um so far so he's a very advanced hitter um that's been a great get and on the international side uh miguel blaze is the big one um that that they signed in 2021 uh, reports are great on him. I'm sure we'll get into him a little bit later. And later, and it looks like um, fairly Encarnacion is going to be a very interesting player from this upcoming class too. So he's done a really good job with um, the the drafting and the uh, international signees. And what you see is just, and you notice it at the major league level, is depth j- that is just so much more robust than what was there. Um, under Dave Dombrowski. You know, Dave liked to deal and wheel and deal, and he was great at that, and he won most of his trades. Um, but now the Red Sox system has more depth at every single level.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I liked the, the hire when, when it happened, uh, the Bloom hire, but uh, I really started to kind of gain uh, a lot of respect for that, that scouting department, specifically uh, with the 2020 draft class. Not only going up, going and getting their guy Nick York, like you alluded to, but also uh, Blaze Jordan uh, going over slot on him. I think you know not being afraid to take two prep hitters who didn't necessarily profile to add value defensively, but just guys that had immense offensive upside. I thought that that was very, uh, very well done um, by by that front office and that that scouting department at the time, and and that that draft class and that uh, those decisions to go after those guys has kind of given me some confidence that they really sort of know what they're doing uh, on the amateur uh, side.
2: Yeah, they definitely do. And I I think the, the next biggest development to, you know, aside from the hitting is just for the longest time period, all of us Red Sox fans have really lamented the fact that the Red Sox haven't been able to develop uh, starting pitching at all. I mean, we really haven't, it's been, Clay Buchholz and John Lester uh, were the the last two guys, and that's going back quite a ways. Um, but it seems like whatever Heim Bloom has been doing to to fix the pitching development here is definitely starting to show itself um, quite a bit. And I mean, we have Bayo that we're going to be talking about later making his debut tonight, and then we also just have a lot of other. Really important depth pieces like Cutter Crawford has come up and made some contributions to the big league club this year. Connor Siebold, who was acquired in a trade by Hein Bloom, uh, has made a couple starts. That sort of depth on the fringes is something that the Red Sox haven't been really that good at uh, growing uh, in their own farm system right now, and I think we, we're seeing better depth there. And I think he's just he's brought brought over a bunch of the that magic from the Rays in terms of the pitching development. Um, so that's another thing that I'm going to be looking for, especially in the upcoming years, as we start to see, you know, more of those
1: guys trickle up to the higher levels. So before we get to the prospects and we, we are going to get to those guys, there's plenty of really exciting uh, prospects to talk about. wanted to start by asking you uh, sort of what direction you think the Xander Bogarts uh, situation is going to go in because, uh, you know, on the one hand, you could sort of take that raise magic and combine it with a massive payroll and be sort of the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, but are they willing to kind of go with that type of payroll? Uh, we already saw what happened with Mookie Betts. Um, how do you see the Xander Bogarts situation playing out?
2: Uh, man, this is like such an emotional question for me because uh, Xander is my favorite baseball player. Uh, maybe of all time, Uh, he's, he's up there with, uh, with Pedro for, for my favorite. Um, And I think he's my favorite because that's sort of the time period when I started following prospects is when the Red Sox, uh, you know, signed him out of Aruba and followed his whole development track. And he's just turned into the consummate professional. And I, I I think that the Red Sox really should sign him to a long-term deal. And I think the model that, Heim Bloom and the Red Sox should be aiming for is the Dodgers model. That model of, okay, we have all this money to spend. Um, Things that are not so important to us are, you know, cost controlled fifth starters and and guys like we were just talking about, like Seabold. We need to be able to package those guys together and go out and acquire talent that's going to help the big league club right now. Um, That's the direction I believe they should go in. I'm less convinced that that's going to happen. Um, just because of what we saw in the off season, the signing of Trevor Story was a little bit scary to me in terms of Xander Bogarts' future. Because we know what type of a defender Trevor Story is, he's now under control for six years. So um, you know you have an internal replacement if you don't want to meet whatever Xander's demands are. Um, but I think that that would be absolutely the wrong thing to do. Um, Xander Bogart should be the all-star starter at shortstop, uh, based on performance this year. I mean, it's between Bo Bichette and Tim Anderson at this point because of the fan voting. But if we look at the numbers, Xander's been the best shortstop in the American league, and it's not particularly close. Um, he's just an elite bat. He's also a clubhouse leader. Um, so I think that the Red Sox ultimately, when it comes to the trade deadline, I think the Red Sox are going to hang on to him. And I think they're going to make an attempt to re sign him this offseason. Um, because I think there's just so much at stake there. He's, he's such an important person to this franchise. He's more important to this franchise than he would be to another one. And he's also Rafael Devers' best friend. Um, so if you, I, I believe that that has a big impact on whether or not they're going to be able to get something done long term with Rafael Devers. I think if they see somebody who's done everything perfect since, uh, he's come up with the system and succeeded at the major league level, but like Xander, if, if, if Devers sees him not get that next big contract with this team, I think that might impact the way that he looks at re-signing with the Red Sox.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting variable uh, for sure. Um, I mean, if they're, if they're not willing to pay up for Xander Bogarts, you wonder if they even mind if they don't pay up for Rafael Devers. I, I would think, as a fan, you'd obviously want to keep those guys together, but um, you know, we'll see. I guess what, what happens with that, but yeah, I think I think you're totally right with everything you laid out. I mean, they've shown that they can acquire uh, good players in the draft and internationally, and uh, they could they've kind of stocked up that farm system a little bit. So you'd like to see them uh, do do both, and not just kind of ha- not just kind of be raised with a little bit more money. Um, which is kind of what I'd be afraid of in terms of where things might be headed. But um, I guess we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, uh, another situation I want to talk about uh, before we get into the prospects is like I mentioned, um, you know, I, I think I took Tanner Hawk in the uh Roto-Ire dynasty mock uh, back in October, November. And you were like, yeah, I'm not really sold on him as a starter. Um, because of the two pitches, obviously, I mean, two very good pitches, but, uh, hmm. he's been kind of thrust into the ninth inning there. Uh, and, and, he can go multiple innings, but I mean, he's basically their, their closer now, uh, due to the fact that they just weren't getting it done at the back of the bullpen. And he was sort of a ready-made answer to that. Uh, do you see him just kind of being their closer from here on out, like in the next season, uh, or is this just sort of a short, short-term fix?
2: He's the first guy that they've really committed to at the closer role. And uh, the pitching coach for the Red Sox, Bush, uh, actually said that, you know, he said as much that, you know, he is our closer at this point. Um, And that's the first time they've really committed to a guy this season. And I think that that's the role that he's probably going to be in for the rest of this year, unless they go out and make like a huge acquisition Uh, in the bullpen because the stuff is great. Like you mentioned the fastball slider combination. He does have two fastballs, uh, the four seam and the two seam that he uses. Um, but that slider is an absolute wipeout pitch. Um, so he has the late inning stuff. And I think when, when we were talking after the, the dynasty mock, I also said to you, well, worst case scenario, you end up with a closer. Um, so You know, that's, I I do think that that's kind of his role going forward right now. Um, The one thing that also sort of throws a wrench into this plan a little bit is the fact that Tanner Houck has been unavailable when the Red Sox have gone up to Toronto because he's one of the few players on the team who remains unvaccinated. So whether or not that will impact his ability to stay long term at the uh, closer position is unclear to me. The best reliever on the team, though, hasn't been Tanner Houck. It's been John Schreiber, mm-hmm. uh, who they picked up from Detroit um, for basically nothing. Um, but Schreiber has been really used as the fireman. He's been coming in in the highest leverage situations, sometimes going multiple innings. Uh, and and it does look like they've fully transitioned Tanner Houck to this one inning closer role, uh, which, is, which is perfect and I think has a great trickle-down effect on the rest of the bullpen. So... I would think that uh, if there was one guy I had to bank on for the remainder of this year uh, to be the closer, it would be Tanner Houck. He is somebody, however, that I would watch when it comes to the trade deadline, because I do think that with the Red Sox, it's a little bit of a unique situation having Toronto in your own division and also having Toronto as recently as last week would have lined up as a postseason opponent for the Red Sox. So, he might be somebody who they look to include in a package uh, to get somebody else. It wouldn't shock me if they like went after somebody like David Bednar from the pirates and included Tanner Houck as part of a package going back.
1: That'd be pretty fascinating. I think that uh, as a, if I were a pirates fan, I think I'd be okay with that because uh, you know, as a rebuilding club, you could put him back on a, starters developmental track if he wanted to um so that that would be pretty interesting um yeah what in the just quickly i mean i know he's uh i know he's been banged up and is and wasn't pitching quite as well as he was to start the season but uh garrett whitlock are you have you seen enough from him that uh you think he he fits uh as a as a legitimate kind of mid-rotation type of starter going forward I think for next year he does. Um, they're a little bit concerned with him right now in terms
2: of uh, the injury that he's recovering from. And Alex Cora came out last week and said that for the, the rest of the season, he's going to be used out of the bullpen. Um, so, you know, I, I'm still convinced he has that three pitch mix that I think is ideal for a starter. He also has really good command, but he's also somebody who's still only in his second season back from Tommy John surgery. Um, So he's still definitely working back. I expect him to be part of that rotation for the Red Sox uh, to begin next year. But I do think that this year, with the fact that they really, at this point, only have two trustworthy arms in the bullpen in Tanner Houck and John Schreiber, that they really need Whitlock in that role. And I think they want him to be there to sort of uh, lighten his workload a little bit as well.
1: Okay, well, let's let's just get to the, the, the man of the hour. Uh, Brian Bayo, he is making his big league debut tonight. Uh, is this a situation? Well, first, maybe give us just kind of a, a scouting report or your scouting report on on Bayo. What can what can people expect today?
2: Well, Bayo is just a fascinating guy. Um, he's he's a little bit undersized. He's like six feet, uh, one hundred and seventy pounds, but he's real wiry, athletic, strong guy. Um, great stuff. The fastballs, high nineties. He has two fastballs, a four seamer that comes in like 97, 98. Um, he's got a two seam. That's really maybe his most interesting pitch. In my opinion, induces an absolute ton of ground balls, has a bunch of arm side run to it. Um, that's a great pitch for him. He's got a slider, uh, which he can alter the shape of, um, the slider comes in 84 to 87 um and if you want to look at some of this information in more in depth, socksprospects.com. Uh Ian Cundal and uh Chris Hatfield do tremendous work over there uh getting these. So definitely check that out. Um and he's got this change up that is just so nasty. Like the change up in the slider are probably both 60 pitches. Um I think the changeup's probably a little bit better than the slider. Um and his fastball is probably a 60 pitch as well. But the combination of having all of these things, because he can miss bats with the change up in the slider and he can get you to ground out with that two seamer and he can go up to strike you out with that four seamer. He just has so many weapons right now and he knows how to pitch as well. That's the thing. He's, he's really good at sequencing. He's really good at attacking hitters. Um, he absolutely embarrassed Eloy Jimenez who was on a uh, rehab start. Um, in Worcester a couple weeks ago and he struck him out with uh, two straight changeups. ups um, So it was just, and he just flailed at it. So it's a pitch that can get out the best major league hitters. And um, the, the stuff is just tremendous over 51 in the third innings at AAA. Uh, he has a 2.81 ERA. He's gone deep into games because of that 63 and a half percent ground ball rate uh, that he has as well. So, you know, Bayo is really polished. He's really good. I think he's a mid rotation guy moving forward. And I think if this stuff uh, ticks up a little bit and he maybe adds a little bit more strength uh, to the frame, you know, the the ceiling is better than a mid rotation guy, but I think at least he's like a number three.
1: Yeah. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't realized uh, that he's already up to 85 innings this year. Um, and like you said, you know, kind of a wiry frame, a uh, little bit undersized for a righty. Uh, and I don't think he got to 100 innings last year, although he did in 2019. Uh, let's say that he, you know, kind of just takes this rotation spot and runs with it. Do you think that he can uh, they can manage his innings the rest of the season as a starter? or Would they transition him to a relief role down the stretch?
2: I think they're probably going to transition him to a relief role. I I wouldn't be surprised if he gets more than one start. I'm kind of hoping for you know, four to five starts here at the big league level and get him to maybe uh, 20 or so innings above where he was last year. But then I think they will transition him to a bullpen role down the stretch because he's exactly the type of guy whose stuff would play up in the bullpen in shorter stints as well. And it would be a good way to limit those innings, like you said, but you know, With the way that the Red Sox bullpen is, is sort of hurting right now, we mentioned they only have two good options uh, there at the moment. And once Whitlock gets back, that's another good option. But uh, you add Bayo to that mix, and all of a sudden, that's a really interesting uh, back of your bullpen and an interesting bridge to help you get there. So I do think that ultimately, uh, if he stays up at the big club, he will end up in the bullpen for this year. But certainly going forward, he's, he's a starter through and through.
1: Yeah, so that's definitely something to keep in mind if you're, uh, you know, getting ready to to bid big on Bayo in like an league this weekend, or mm-hmm. you, you scooped him up. Uh, that you know he is already at 85 innings, and I think to your point, uh, he is sort of a, a perfect multi inning reliever and a guy that could be a, a major weapon for them in the in a postseason run this year. Uh, as you go starter Bayo, and then you know, Scriber, Hauk, and then, you know, ball game. Um, that, could be, that could be a really devastating uh, combination. But, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't realized that he had built up this much already this season. I mean, not not many uh, pitching prospects of his ilk are, are up to 85 innings this year. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on there. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Uh, who is the next prospect in this system that you really want to talk about? um i think i gotta
2: go with my guy tristan casas all right um who you know i was really touting last time i was on this show and and he's had a really weird year um because you know he's been on the il since may 17th with a high ankle sprain um he just started swinging the bat again on the 27th uh, of june but um it was a pretty bad high ankle sprain and Uh, It's on his landing foot. So, you know, he's a big guy, six foot five, uh, over 250 pounds. So uh, he needed to be fully healthy to start swinging that bat again. But I think um, this is a player who you want to still continue to invest in. And I want to bring him up right at the beginning because I think that there are some owners that are going to be looking at Tristan Casas because a lot of people expected him to already make his major league debut by now. And looking at his numbers and being like, well, you know what? I'm not really seeing the huge power there for a guy who's this big. Um, but I think this is the perfect time to invest because um, stock's low at this point. And we're still seeing a lot of really positive trades from him. 14.7% walk rate, just a 22.4% K rate. Um, you know, still a healthy OPS of 816. Um, he's going to get into his power. I mean, if, if you ever... Uh, get a chance to see Tristan Casas in person. He's just an enormous guy um, with so much raw natural power that he's talked about it. I mean, he doesn't really worry about getting into it because he can when he wants to, and he can also shorten up when he wants to. So I think he's just a very unique guy. And especially when we look at the first base landscape these days, I mean, there's just not a ton of really good young options and I think he's actually a better hitter than guys like Spencer Torkelson, who we've seen struggle this year. Um, and the power is, you know, it's, it's unmatched by, by most anybody. I think Fran Milreyes is probably the only guy who would make him look small if they stood next to each other. Um, but he just made Franchi Cordero look pretty small, too, when they played. So, um, But he's a big guy, and I think that, uh, you know, great time to buy uh, for him. And if you own him already – I would say don't lose faith. Uh, he's still absolutely the type of fantasy bat that you want to own moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think a friend of the show, uh, Lucas Beery, uh, tweeted about uh, Casas as a, as a top kind of buy-low uh, first baseman for, for Dynasty Leagues, and I think that uh, you're, you're right on the money there. I think a lot of uh, Dynasty managers might be kind of uh, impatient uh, with the injury, the, the non-call-up. Uh, like you alluded to, uh, when we did talk about him in the fall, uh, I agreed with uh, most of what you were saying, and, and in fact, I mean the vast majority of what you're saying. And I brought up the the lefty righty splits and just whether or not you were concerned about that. Uh, I know that the the team uh, kind of you know said that that you know hitting lefties was kind of something that he still had to work on at at Triple A. And I, I buy into that a little bit, but is it something that you're worried at all about long-term, especially given where Bloom comes from and, and the platoon happiness of, of a team like the Rays?
2: I'm still not concerned about it yet. Um, and I think that it's a valid thing to, to bring up, and, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's a it's a piece of development that he still needs to work on, but I think that he's gonna get there. I think he's just a good enough hitter. He knows his body, he knows how to shorten up, he knows how to um, you know, make contact. Um, and I just think that he's gonna figure it out. Um, I want to see him I want to see him against major leaguers uh, before I kind of make a determination as to whether or not that's really a problem for him. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of faith in his hit tool. I think that's the thing that, that stands out to me about Casas. That's a little bit unique is that for his size, I think this is a pretty unique hit tool.
1: You know, I, I kinda, I want to quickly talk about some other hitters on the big league Grass before we get to the next prospect. Cause you actually mentioned one, uh, Franchi Cordero, who I have been, I, I was, I way overspent on him in Fab and some some redraft leagues uh, probably a little over a month ago uh, just because of how hard he was hitting the ball. Uh, But he's just he's not hitting for as much power as you would think. Uh, Mm -hmm. And obviously, he's not really giving you anything defensively. Um, so what, what do you think about Franchi Cordero kind of over the rest of the season, his role with the Red Sox, you know, do you expect him to be on another team sometime soon? Um, where does he kind of stand with the org?
2: Yeah, he's a really hard guy to figure out. Uh, he and, he and Dahlbeck have combined to be one of the most, uh, frustrating first base situations in the league. And I think that's one of the reasons why. Uh, Tristan Casas owners have been so frustrated too because, like, if he was healthy and dominating at AAA, this job would already be his. But the fact that he's missed so so much development time, um, coupled with the fact that Bobby Dahlbeck just cannot hit a fastball to save his life, um, means that Franchi Cordero will continue to get time. And I think all those metrics that you have been, uh, that you were sort of alluding to there, stat cast metrics, I mean, Franchi deserves better than he's gotten at this point. He's hit the ball really hard. He's hit the ball to a lot of fielders pretty squarely. Um, I expect him to get the bulk of the playing time at first base moving forward. And I don't think that this is a position that Bloom is going to be willing to invest in. You know, some of the names being bandied about right now, CJ Krohn or... um, you know, Josh Bell at the Nationals are some of the names that have been floated out there as potential options for the Red Sox to go after. I just don't see Heim Bloom doing that with the way that this organization feels about Casas long term. So I'd be very surprised if that happened. And I think that they have more faith that you know things are going to get better for Franchi Cordero. So if I had to to put my money on somebody to get the bulk of the starts at first base moving forward, it would definitely be Cordero. And I think that he will be better than he has been. I Last time I checked, I haven't looked today, but he he had like a mid eighties WRC plus and, and he's just, he's a better hitter than that. At this point, he really did transform himself at triple a. So
1: he's, he's got a, it's a one Oh six right now. Uh, C plus. And, uh, I mean, you know, X stats are so, you know, they, they're nice to look at and stuff, but I just, it's it's crazy to me that he his, like, you know, X slash line essentially is 283, 370, 512, yeah. uh, which if that's what he was actually doing in games, uh, you know, every he'd be rostered universally and everyone would just be really excited and everything, but uh, that's not what's happened in games so far, but I think I'm going to keep being stubborn and, uh not drop him just yet in those leagues where I did overspend on him in Fab. Um Dahlbeck, you mentioned, I mean, is he not long for the org? I don't think so. I, I think that's going to be a name that's going to be very
2: popular in uh, trade discussions because it's just so hard to figure out what the role is with Dahlbeck going forward. And it's clear that they prefer Franchi. Uh, it's clear that the expected stats and all the advanced metrics prefer Franchi to what Dahlbeck's been doing he's not good at first base either that's the thing that's so frustrating as well when you watch him I mean the at-bats can be very frustrating because he lets some middle middle fastballs just go by him down the pipe without even swinging at them um, because I feel like his confidence and his ability to hit velocity is pretty low at this point um, but then when he's on first base I mean he makes awkward stretches and misses the ball and it's just uh it's not very good, so I think that Bobby Dahlbeck would be better served to be sort of a second-division regular somewhere else, getting a lot of time, uh, sort of like what they did with Michael Chavis going to the Pirates where he's getting some time. Um, so I think that that's going to be a pretty popular uh, trade name. All right. I'm,
1: I'm not going to do it yet, but am I going to have to eat crow on Jaron Duran? Uh, he's been way better in 18 games in the majors this year than – I ever thought he would be, Uh, obviously he's not this good, uh, but is, is this an everyday player?
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, and the reason why I'm so oddly non-committal about that is because there are a couple things still holding him back. Um, his approach at the plate still is not incredible. Um, there's still some holes there, and his defense is still really bad like kind of comically bad his first step is so bad uh and he makes up for it with the fact that he's one of the fastest guys in the entire league at this point so he can kind of recover from that and still make all the regular plays that he needs to make but like if you watch the outfielders around him they're always freaking out whenever he's like going for a ball because he takes just a tremendously bad route to get there um so, so Jared is really interesting. And I think that the fact that he is this awesome speed guy uh, and he has a lot of power, I mean, he's completely transformed his body since he, he was drafted. He's absolutely jacked mm-hmm. uh, when you see him walking around with his shirt off. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't know because, you know, what happens with a prospect when they come up is, you know they have to adjust to the major league pitchers. And once they find success, the scouting report on them gets out and then the pitchers adjust back. And we haven't seen the pitchers adjust back for Jaron Duran yet. He, He has passed the first test, right? Because in his first sample size in the major leagues last year, he really struggled. And now he's come up, he's changed some things around and he's been successful. But I think that there are still a lot of things that he needs to work on. This being said, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, helium uh, hype on, on Jaron Duran. We did our podcast yesterday, the Red Seat Podcast, it over the monster, and we had a listener comparing Jaron Duran's start this year to Jacoby Ellsbury's start in 2007, and they were almost identical. It was scary how close they were. So if he can end up being a, a Jacoby Ellsbury-type player – I mean, yeah, that that works, right?
1: Way worse defensively. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Way worse defensively. Um, at least a better arm than Jacoby, though.
1: So, I mean, are you buying that? Like, I mean, are is he a sell high in Dynasty? Like, if, if you could just flip him today for Tristan Casas in a Dynasty league, would you do it?
2: Yes, a hundred percent. I still, you know, an interesting trade went down in one of my Dynasty Leagues, Uh, Jaron Duran straight up for Nolvi Marte, and I would do that. Like, I want the Marte side of that. I'm still going after guys who are blue chippers with fewer concerns in their profile than... You know, looking at the the numbers right now and Jaren Duran's success in a limited sample size, and saying, "Okay, I'm I'm totally buying that he's now an all-star guy with 30 30 potential." I think that's a possibility, but I do think it's like a fifteenth percent possibility. You know, I still think the outcome for him is somebody who struggles to hit for average, um, somebody who struggles to get to his power, and somebody who does run a decent amount.
1: So he's a good speed guy. He. Kind of gives me uh I don't know, Jonathan BR vibes in terms of just being a guy who's really fast and everyone's excited about the stolen base potential, but he's not good at using his speed in other ways, you know. Um mm-hmm. like you mentioned, kind of the the defensive uh struggles and stuff. Uh what about what about this one? How about uh, for a prospect who I have ranked uh a little quite a bit higher than well be Marte and that's uh Nick York would you do uh Duran for Nick York straight up absolutely I want Nick York in that trade and you know honestly the the way that uh I got you booked for for this show was I reached out to you last week about Nick York because I was getting ready for my mailbag episode and I had uh, several people wondering like are you are you lower on York like was he ranked too high coming into the year? Uh, mm-hmm. Would you drop him for these prospects? Like that type of stuff. And I just didn't really see any reason to bail. Uh, but I wanted to, to check in with you and see if, if you uh, come down at all on him. Because I'm sure you've kind of followed that situation closer than I have. Uh, and, you know, why don't you make the case for buying low on York, uh, continuing to hold York, picking up York if someone dropped him. Uh, mm-hmm. Why don't you make that case?
2: Well, I think I'll start with uh, the good, you know, last year when we were all falling in, love, falling in love with Nick York as a prospect, it was the 300, 400, 500 slash line uh, that was just so enticing. And, and the fact that he had that slash line as such a recent draftee you know, prep bat right out of high school. Um, it, it's just so attractive because there just aren't very many of those guys that carry those tools. Um, You know, SoxProspects.com, who I've mentioned, they have him as the highest-rated hit tool uh, in the entire system, even including guys like Casas and Marcelo Mayer and and those other guys. So it's truly like a 60, 65 grade hit tool there, in terms of uh, you know what that is. But you know, when when you asked me about him, uh, I mentioned the uh, Chris Clegg tweet because Clegg has been covering the the Greenville Drive. Uh, this year and you know he's had the illness uh, that he suffered from he had turf toe and he's had back tightness and I think if there is one reason uh, to be concerned with Nick York it is his injury history Nick York did have shoulder surgery when he was in high school uh, right before his senior year of high school and then he fully recovered from it and had a great uh, high school spring uh, senior of his senior year um, but you know that is still a concern is whether or not Nick York can be durable and stay on the field. But I think if Nick York is healthy and durable, he's going to absolutely rocket through the system because the hit tool is so advanced. Um, I think he'll make mincemeat of, of uh, the high a uh, you know, league uh, Carolina league at that point. Um, Whenever he does feel fully healthy, I think the bad is just tremendous. I don't think we'll know a ton about Nick York, Um, until he gets up to double a Portland and starts seeing even more advanced pitching. But I doubt that he'll even struggle with that. I think he's the best hit tool we've seen in the system since Andrew Benintendi, uh, who, if you remember back to whatever, he was a prospect a few years ago. I mean, people are throwing sevens on his hit tool. And I think that York is definitely in that discussion, you know, where he's going to play down the line, that's definitely uh, up for discussion as well. He could be a second baseman, but he's not particularly gifted in that department. He has transformed his body. He's lost about 25 pounds of bad weight since he was drafted, um, but he could end up in the upfield. But I'm still so confident that, that hit tool is going to play um, wherever he is that, I mean, I, I think he could be a 300 hitter in the major league. I really do.
1: Yeah, and and basically ever since I pushed him up my rankings, a lot of people have sort of been uh, questioning his fantasy upside because he uh, is not a guy that's going to do much with his legs, obviously uh, does not, didn't come into the, you know, into the draft with huge name value. Right. And so mm-hmm. I a lot of people look at him and they're just like, well, what's there to get excited about here. And I've, uh, you know, sort of sealing comped him to Robinson Cano or Anthony Rendon, like that type of hitter who in their peak were top 25 picks in fantasy. Uh, is that kind of too, too far overboard on, on what his upside could be? You know, when I think of prime Cano
2: or or prime Rendon, I think of really just tremendously sweet swing, which is definitely something that Nick York has. But I think those guys probably had a little bit more power than he has. And it's not to say that he can't add that. Um, He's got the the body type of somebody who's a little bit thicker in his upper body. And I think he has the capacity to put on more muscle. So whether or not he can do that while not losing bat speed is something to look for. But I think he could be a lighter version of that, you know, at at least projecting him forward right now. I think he could hit just as well as those guys, but maybe with 20 to 25 home runs rather than the 30 to 35 home runs that we saw from prime Cano or, or prime Rendon. But I absolutely think that especially in OBP leagues, this guy's going to be an absolute weapon because even while he's been struggling, uh, we've seen his walk rates stay pretty stable. Um, and, uh, I think that's pretty pretty important.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Rendon only hit over thirty in the Juice Ball 2019 season, and Cano only hit over thirty twice in his entire career. So, um, I yeah, I was kind of thinking more the the versions of those guys that were around twenty five homers, and yeah, then you get the, the ton of runs, ton of RBI. Obviously, if he's if the hit tool is as good as we think it is. Uh, he's hitting first or second, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think that's
2: right. And I mean, if if the Red Sox get their act together and sign Devers, maybe he's even an unconventional leadoff hitter uh, because they like to bat Devers second. But yeah, I think he's going to get plenty of run opportunities with this organization. He just might out, end
1: up a left fielder. Yeah, and in that case, obviously, the bat does have to be as as good as advertised. Um, yeah. Marcelo Mayer, uh, the, as you as you alluded to, fell into their lap kind of at number four in in last year's draft. Uh, the the rare lefty hitting uh, shortstop. Uh, he's a guy who has just really performed since getting into pro ball. Um, maybe been more of a a strikeout guy than I guess I was expecting, but you know it's coming with. A ton of walks, and he did that in, in complex ball right after getting drafted as well. Uh, that 14% walk rate he showed last year I thought was, was pretty eye-opening. Um, so certainly a, a guy with a patient approach. Uh, but how would you sort of describe the the full skill set there with, with Mayer? It's kind of everything. He's really good at everything. Um,
2: and can we just reflect on what a gift that was to Heim Bloom? That 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 you know Davis went in front of him, and then Jackson Job, and you know all these all um, these
1: guys went in front of him. Job, that, the Job one's the the big uh, <laughs> the big one. I, I mean, honestly, I would I'd take Jordan Lawler over Marcelo Mayer, and he went uh, a couple picks later. So I mean, I think yeah. there were a couple gifts in that draft.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, there there definitely were. It was a shortstop rich draft, and, and in my opinion, I liked Marcel, Marcelo Mayer the best. At the time, just because of how easy everything is with him, um, you mentioned the lefty swing there, but also just very, very smooth um, in terms of his fielding and his actions. And he's very calm at the plate. Uh, he's very advanced. He's he seems like a guy who's you know not 19. He looks like a guy who's 22, 23 in terms of how he approaches his at bats. Um, He did suffer a wrist strain this year on March 24th, Um, but since he's come back from the wrist uh, injury, um, he's actually slashed 262, 370, 533 with a 271 ISO. So uh, the power has fully come back. He's hit six of his seven home runs since the injury happened, Um, and I was a little bit spooked about that because all Red Sox fans When we think about wrist injuries, we think about Nomar Garcia Parra and what happened in his career, trying to play through some wrist injuries. So um, the fact that Marcelo has come back and really looked like himself is pretty great. I think the one category where he's not really going to contribute is speed. You know, he's probably a four-category guy, um, but I think the high average, high OBP uh, in power is something that he's only going to continue to grow into. Uh, I was also alarmed a little bit like you were with that 27.6% K rate uh, that he's carrying. However, I think we have to just kind of settle in in, and watch what happens as he progresses up the ladder, because guys like mayor can sometimes be overly aggressive against pitching that's maybe not as advanced as, as that's not challenging them enough. And I think that sometimes that can elevate uh their aggression so you know i want to see what his his strikeout rate looks like when he gets up to double a and triple a and you know advanced pitching
1: yeah and i think uh and lawler should serve as maybe cautionary tales for the teams at the drop at the top of this upcoming draft um to just you know don't (laughs) Don't get too cute and worry about cutting deals and, and that type of thing. Just you know, if you've got a uh, big time blue chip prep talent uh, in your lap, just just take it. Um, yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, we can give Heim Bloom props for uh, for Nick York, but it's hard to give
1: him too many props for Mayor because it was like, well, here you go. <laughs> you know, this guy's here. Okay, so we've talked about Mayor. We've talked about Casas. We've talked about Bayo. We've talked about York. Uh, I think. Pretty much anyone is going to tell you that those are the four best prospects in the system. Uh, who do you think is the fifth best prospect in the system?
2: Well, from a fantasy perspective, yeah, let's fantasy. Yeah, I, I I think it's Miguel Blaise. Um and oh. I I um, I messaged you about him earlier in the season because. He's just a guy who when you get these reports on him um, and the reports are always coming in like kind of sparsely, it's like secondhand information from people and stuff like that. But what you hear is just like, oh, my God, this guy's going to be a dude. Um, He's 6'3", he's 170, 180 pounds. He's just got this lanky, super athletic, super twitchy frame that just looks like... He could put on a ton of muscle and just really become this, uh, you know, Adonis like, uh, figure. And, uh, he glides around the outfield. He's got speed. He's got hit tool. He's got sort of everything that you're looking for. Uh, he's a true five tool guy. And the fact that he, uh, has been able to succeed, um, you know, so soon I think is the thing that's just really attractive because sometimes, what happens with these J2 guys, as you know, is, you know, their bodies change a lot between the, the fact that the time that they sign and the time that they actually get into complex league and things like that. But his body is changing in ways that are positive rather than negative. Um, and uh, I mean, Blaze is a guy that you can dream on. I, I'm doing a mock draft right now, and I took him uh, very high. Um, in terms of, of prospects. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I took him uh, probably slightly after the top 100 uh, prospects just because I wanted to make sure that I got a share there. But I think with, with Blaze, you could be talking about a guy who eventually becomes a 25-20 guy with you know really good hit tool and plays the outfield every day.
1: Yeah. I mean, you do want to be careful a little bit with that. Uh, I mean, just, I'm, I'm looking at the strikeouts. I'm watching where the strikeouts go, uh, in complex ball because, uh, he has a pretty similar K to walk right now, uh, of like Hedbert Perez last year in complex ball. So, um, I'm not saying he's going to fall flat on his face when he gets to to low a, but I would personally take, uh, blaze Jordan over him. uh, Mm Um, What's, what's your take on blaze? I mean, obviously he's just been on a, a, a monster heater over the past month plus or so, but, uh, why would you take blaze over? well Why would you take blaze over blaze? Uh, blaze <laughs> blaze is, uh, Miguel blaze is, uh, B L E I S. Right. Um, so
2: yeah, that's a great question. And I think probably most people expected me to say blaze Jordan there, um, And the reason why i take Blaze over Blaze Jordan is that um, Blaze Jordan's Achilles heel right now is that he has shown no evidence of the ability to uh, hit or pull elite velocity in terms of fastballs. So, you know, in the league that he's playing in right now, Blaze is able to attack low velo fastballs or sort of junky fastballs. And he does recognize breaking ball spin. So he can absolutely pull and punish breaking balls that he sees that are not particularly good or off-speed pitches that are not particularly good. Um, but when it comes to high velo guys, he struggles and he struggles to pull that. So, you know, that's going to be, uh, uh, you know, we've seen what that does to guys like Bobby Dahlbeck. Once they reach upper levels, it just doesn't work. So I think that unless Blaze Jordan figures out how to deal with velocity and get to his power on high velocity pitches, um, he could be somebody that struggles to even make it out of AAA. Um, I, I don't think we're going to know a ton about Blaze Jordan until he starts seeing guys who are a lot more advanced in terms of the type of stuff that they have.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I know I'd heard that he'd struggled with uh, premium velocity uh, last year. I, I wasn't sure if that was still the case. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's on paper, it's hard to not be impressed by just what he's doing as a, as a 19-year-old. Doesn't turn 20 until December. But if that is indeed still a case, uh, like you said, it will be an issue in the upper levels. Uh, the, the gap in pitching – Uh, Between single A and double A is is absolutely massive. So, um, maybe another, maybe a sell high guy um, along the lines of uh, Jaron Duran. Uh, So, we also have, you know, a couple. I mean, everyone knew about Blaze Jordan. Uh, You know, everyone was even tracking uh, Miguel Blaze due to the sort of international pedigree there. Uh, and obviously, you know Sadan, Rafaela, and uh, Matthew Lugo are guys that have been on the prospect radar for a while with the Red Sox. Uh, but I think you could you could say this has been a a true breakout year for for both of those guys. Um, so so where are you at on on Lugo and Rafaela, and and who would you prefer for for dynasty?
2: Yeah, those are two interesting guys. Um, Lugo. Uh, the the thing about Lugo is that he's been solid this year. He's definitely made strides. He's definitely been better. Um, but the thing that you look at with his profile is it's a lot of like average tools and it's tough to look at that profile and see exactly what's going to stand out as he continues to move up the levels and what's sort of going to be his carrying tool. Uh, that's going to get him to be a successful big leaguer with Rafael, It's much, much easier to look at what he does and see how that would translate to big league at-bats right away. And so the first thing that stands out with Rafaela is, you know, he's a small guy. He's 5'8", but he's a solid 160, maybe 170. He's a very strong uh, guy for his size, and he's easily the best fielder in the system. Um, He could come up and play plus-to-plus-plus defense at every outfield position. Right now, they could call him up to the big leagues, and he'd be gold-glove caliber. Um, he's just a tremendous fielder. The thing that has been so surprising uh, is that he's really gotten to his power. I mean, he's got 15 home runs on the year, 17 stolen bases across two levels. Uh, he hasn't really skipped a beat since he's got up to A Portland. Um, he's very athletic. He's only 21 years old um and the fact that he's still been able to maintain an over 300 batting average during this time is the thing that's a little bit shocking because that's always been the knock on sedan Rafaela is a he's small so he's probably not going to hit for power well he showed us he can and then b it was well he doesn't walk and his approach is kind of overly aggressive so is this going to work as he continues to move up the ladder but he's showing it double a that it is continuing to work in You know, I'm not going to say that this is like the next Mookie Betts because he's the same size and has all the athleticism and is a great fielder, but like maybe he does. Maybe he's just one of those guys that breaks the mold and maybe he doesn't need to walk a ton because he certainly doesn't strike out a ton and he does make good contact. So Rafaela is really interesting. I still don't know whether or not he's going to be like an impactful guy in fantasy leagues, but I know one thing, Rafaela is going to play basically every day, whether it's with the Red Sox or with another team, just because the defense is so good.
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, Mookie Betts, I mean, prospect Mookie Betts uh, was an absolute monster who walked way more than he struck out. So I, right. I, I don't, I can't really get there on any sort of comparison to Betts with with Rafaela, but no. I think. Uh, well, everything else you said, and I, honestly, the defensive part, I was going to ask you about his defense because I noticed he'd been playing premium positions, and uh, that's very relevant for Dynasty. I know some people don't necessarily uh, factor in defense a ton, but uh, that's part of why I'd been so low on Jaron Duran this whole time and uh, the fact that his defense is as good as you say. Uh, that is going to buy him opportunities, uh, but I am I am still worried about the aggressiveness. Uh, I mean, is his? I mean, what what are we talking about here in terms of bat speed? Because I think if you're going to make this type of uber aggressive approach work, you have to have premium bat speed.
2: Yeah, I would say it's good bat speed. It's above average bat speed. I wouldn't say that it's like uh, Javier Baez level bat speed or anything crazy like that but he's a very, very athletic guy for his size. And I think that his size is about his size and his defense are the only two things that sort of remind me of prospect Moogie bets. You're absolutely right. The approach is nothing close to even that good, which is why I still have so many questions about him. But I do think that he has enough bat speed and enough strength to sort of get to his power and be a true power speed guy threat when he comes up to the major leagues. Um, And like you said, the defense is going to afford him opportunities. We're talking about a guy who is he's not quite Christian Pache in terms of his defense, but he's like pretty close to that level defender.
1: So uh, next, I think I want to bring it to bring it. Let's bring it back to the pitchers in this system. Uh, They just they seem to have like five of these guys that are sort of hanging around triple a uh in the big leagues i mean you mentioned uh cutter crawford there's josh winkowski there's uh connor siebold um brian mata i think just got uh activated mm-hmm. um who do you think is the second best pitcher in this system for fantasy behind or brandon walter i should have mentioned obviously mm-hmm. um, Who do you think is the second best pitcher uh, for fantasy behind Bayo?
2: That's interesting. Um, For fantasy, man, I'm like, I'm so torn between Brandon Walter and Brian Mata uh, for that answer. And I kind of want to talk about both guys. So I'll give you just a quick, quick bid on both. I I was able to see Brandon Walter, uh, earlier this spring up in Portland and uh, he struck out 10, the game that I saw him. But the most impressive thing about Brandon Walter is that he's this lefty that just does nothing but stro- throw strikes. I mean, he has pinpoint command. He truly has elite level command. He's like George Kirby out there uh, with his command in terms of where he's able to place his fastball. It's not impressive velo, but it's absolutely impressive location Uh, He's got a slider and a changeup that can both uh, cause swing and miss. Um, And so far, I mean, he's got a 75 strikeout to seven walk uh, ratio uh, right now. That is just crazy. Um, And I think it's enough to play as a back end starter. That being said, like back end starter who has tremendous command, not the most interesting profile for fantasy, right? Like that's not a guy who you're going to go out and chase and roster. But Brian Mata is sort of the type of guy that you can dream on a little bit. He's just coming off Tommy John surgery, uh, like you mentioned in it, 23 years old. Uh, His velocity is all the way back. He's already hitting 100 uh, with his fastball, which has been his best pitch traditionally. He's got a plus plus fastball. Um, But... The thing with Mata is the command comes and goes. Uh, He's got enough control at the throw strikes, but the command in the zone is sort of iffy. Um, You know, he's got 25 strikeouts to 10 walks so far in his early uh, time back here rehabbing. He's going to change up curveball and slider, but none of those pitches really stand out as like a true put-away offering. But I think that if we're looking just based off of the ceiling, you have to like Brian Mata's stuff better than anyone else's in the system because if just one of those secondaries takes a step forward, you could be looking at a leverage arm in the bullpen or, you know, best case scenario, a number three starter if a couple of those secondaries take a step forward or if the command ticks
1: up. Yeah, I'd, I'd been worried about the bullpen for Mata prior to Tommy John. Um and kind of hearing you talk about Walter, I think I might be inclined to lean his direction. Uh, I mean, you're right. Like if, if it's just back end and you have to bench him against the Jays and the Yankees, uh, that, that can be pretty annoying obviously, but um, yeah. And he is, he is almost 26. So you wonder if the paint's kind of dry on, on the, the stuff uh, improving. Um but that, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, they're very, very different pitchers, right? Yeah, they're about as different as it gets. Uh,
2: and the other interesting thing about Walter is that he's a twenty-sixth round pick too. So,
1: pretty, pretty cool developmental story. And so, all these and Walter, I should just, I'll throw out there, like if you like the the Scouter report on on Walter, uh, I bet he's available in a ton of dice leagues right now. Yeah, um, Mata probably is too, honestly. But, um. Now the, those other pictures I threw out to, to you, um, you know, Crawford, Siebold, uh, Winkowski, are we sort of talking about long-term swingmen, uh, number five, long reliever types. Do you, do you think any of those three could stick in the rotation? Like, are, are any of those three going to break camp in the rotation next year?
2: I hope not. <laughs> uh, just because of what that would mean for the Red Sox rotation. Um, I would say in terms of guys who I'm – in terms of my interest level in them from a fantasy perspective, it would be Josh Winkowski, one, Connor Siebold, two, Cutter Crawford, three. Um, the reason why Cutter Crawford's three, I'll start there, is because he just – he allows way too many fly balls. Um, he has good stuff. He has uh, – pretty good velo coming back from Tommy John surgery. He's really you know, been able to crank it up to like 96. But I think for me, it's like, it's tough to figure out what his role is. Is it a long relief role? Is it a true reliever role? Like a couple innings? I don't know. I don't know exactly where he fits, but I don't think it's as a starter long-term. Seabold is a starter. Um, He doesn't have an overpowering fastball, but he's got a good command profile and he's got two secondaries that can really strike guys out. But I think looking at Seabold, he's really like a fifth starter. Winkowski, though, he's interesting because he's got a great fastball slider combination to work with. We've seen him at the big leagues, albeit against, you know, opponents that are not great teams, but he's been able to go out there and dominate. Uh, in some of these major league starts against teams who maybe don't have the best offenses, Um, the change-up with him comes and goes, um, and that's not really a reliable pitch. He kind of reminds me of like a poor man's Tanner Houck, honestly. Um, So it can work, and I think if if the third pitch takes a step forward, he could absolutely be like a fourth or a fifth, but I think if you put Winkowski in the bullpen right now, he's immediately a late-inning arm.
1: You know, it's too bad that uh, Frankie Montes' shoulder started barking because as we're kind of rattling through these sort of back end types, uh, I just, it it screams Oakland A's to me. Like, they, they <laughs> seem like uh, guys at the A's would love to just grab three of those guys and, and see what they can do with them in, in that rotation. Um, do you, let's see, uh, do we need to talk about? anyone else i know i did want to bring up uh, nico Cavadas in a second um but like you know it's jeter downs jay grom uh, you know alex benellis like is, is there anyone else that you think we really gotta dig in on i put one more name on my
2: list uh and it's none of those guys but it is somebody who i want people to pay attention to it's a real real deep cut here uh somebody who i roster in a bunch of my fantasy leagues really on the back end But it's Edison Paulino uh, for the Red Sox. Um, He's a a J2 guy from 2018, 5'10, 160 pounds. He's 20 years old. Um, I am sort of famous for, well, I'm not famous for anything, but like in terms of my analysis, like I always look for Hit Tool first because I think it's the hardest thing to find. And I think once you identify it, it's easy to sort of build off of that and and map out a developmental track for a guy. And Edison Paulino at 20 years old is somebody who's already showing an advanced hit tool, like a 50 to 60 grade hit tool. Um, And he's having success, you know, at, at a level where he's extremely young for he's walking a lot, 11.4% walk rate striking out under 20%. Um, and I think that his body could definitely add a little bit of good weight in terms of power. So I think Edison Paulino is probably the most interesting name that not a lot of people have heard of in terms of like – if you remember um, Cincinnati Reds prospect Tyler Callahan, how he was supposed yeah. to be sort of a a power uh, and hit tool type of guy with without great defense, I think Edison Paulino is – It's sort of similar to that in a lot of ways. Um, And somebody who just would cost you nothing, you can probably go out and find him on your waiver wire. Uh, I found him on the waiver wire in a 24-team Dynasty League with 40-man rosters. So I think he's out there.
1: That's a great name. I mean, the the listeners love the the deep pulls, the guys that they can get out in front of. Um, This guy might not be a deep name, any more, just because of how much damage he's doing. But uh, we mentioned Nico Cabadas earlier, or you did, in terms of them uh, finding a steal in last year's draft. And uh, in addition to you know his his crazy uh, video game production this season at low A and high a is kind of an older uh, down the defensive spectrum type. Uh, on RotoWire, we have the the minor league batted ball data. Uh, the hard hit data uh, for for subscribers, uh, rotowire.com/slash/try. If you want to uh, get a trial, uh, but 44.7% hard hit rate for Cavadas, which is about as green as it gets on these these indicators we have, and obviously he's old to the level, not going to provide much value defensively. But uh, this is exactly what you'd want to see from a guy like that. Uh, you want that extreme hard hit rate. Uh, you want the extreme production to kind of not write these guys off. Uh, are you bullish on Cavadas at all? Or is this just one of those fun stories, extremely unlikely that, that it really pans out?
2: I'll, I'll go pretty bold here. And I'll say I'd rather have Nico Cavadas on my fantasy roster than Blaise Jordan. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I really believe in the bat. Uh, he can handle velocity. He's a very advanced hitter. Um, the the biggest question with Nico Covatus is where where the heck does this guy play? But I don't think you worry about that as much anymore because of the universal DH and the fact that like these guys who can hit are going to find a way. I, I think he's he's very similar to like a Rowdy Telez type dude in terms of the fact that he's like he's gonna hit. Uh, at some point, and he's going to be a useful fantasy bat at some point. He might even be better than, than Telez eventually. But I do think he ends up being a big league bat who causes damage.
1: Well, if, if he could be better than Telez, I mean, uh, man, I'm, I'm almost surprised you didn't go with him as the, the fifth best prospect in the system for fantasy. Um,
2: I love my five tool guys. You know, I have to dream on those, those types.
1: All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> But that is very high praise for Cabadas. For another guy that uh, is out there, I'm sure, in, in a ton of leagues. Um, might, have, might have been scooped already in some OBP leagues, just given the fact that he's got like a 24% career walk rate. Uh, but, I mean, they, do you expect him to climb three levels this season? Uh, I, would, I would think that, you know, when you got a 23-year-old like this who's just doing ungodly damage in the lower levels – it would make sense to me at least to give him a push to double a, at least for the last like month of the year.
2: I think so. I think he has to, because there's not really anybody meaningful blocking him from doing that in the system either. So it's very easy to imagine a pathway for him to get up there. And I mean, when you're talking about one of the best hitters in college baseball, making the transition to, to uh, the pros and, and, having the success that he has, I think you don't even really start challenging this guy until he does reach double a. So I think you have to see what he, what he's got.
1: All right, Jake, this has been uh, great, extremely informative. Uh, is there anyone else we got to touch on here before uh, we let you go? Um, no, I think we pretty much covered
2: all, all the main guys who, who I'm very interested in. I'm going to throw one more quick name out there as somebody who might become relevant pretty soon. Uh, in terms of Red Sox starting pitchers, he's one of the, the many uh, guys who are sort of in that fifth starter, maybe a swingman type guy profile. But Chris Murphy, uh, he's a lefty for the Red Sox, has really taken a step forward with his abilities to get out both righties and lefties this year. Has a really interesting pitch mix and is somebody who's constantly tinkering. He's very much into his own pitch data as well. Um so I think that Chris Murphy is somebody to watch for who could definitely end up being a back end starter.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I should have included him when I was asking about those those uh that kind of uh, glut of of sort of back end types they have in, in the upper levels, but uh that's a great great uh, guy to to mention. Uh do you have any hopes or, or wishes for the upcoming trade deadline?
2: I hope the Red Sox will address their bullpen uh, in a meaningful way. Uh, you know, that's one. If I have to fault Heim Bloom for for any one thing, it's the fact that the Red Sox right now have more blown saves than they have saves. Wow. <laughs> um, and and that's not a good stat. Um, but they could easily be three games behind the Yankees rather than thirteen games behind the Yankees uh, if they just had a functioning bullpen. So that's what I want Heim Bloom to do: go out and address those guys and. Um, more than anything in the world, I want Heim Bloom to sign Xander
1: Bogarts. And are you you're comfortable with the the rotation? Uh, you think you got enough enough arms back there uh, once healthy?
2: I do because uh, Chris Sale is making his last rehab start tonight as we are recording this uh, at Worcester, um, so he's going to be back. And then James Paxton is is on his way back as well. You, you can't count on Jake's back. <laughs> no, you can't. You, you really can't count on Chris sale either, but yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> between, between those two and in the glut of fifth starter types that the Red Sox now have, I just
1: want bullpen help. All right. Fair enough. Jake, uh, you got anything you want to plug before we let you go?
2: Uh, yeah. Just follow my work. Uh, if you're interested in socks stuff, socks, news, Sox prospects, roster machinations, uh, check me out at OverTheMonster.com, where I write and I podcast. Uh, you can follow the Over The Monster podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. My show is called The Red Seat, and it pops up on the Over The Monster feed. So I uh, would appreciate a subscribe. And uh, you can also check me out on Twitter at, at @devjake. And I'm happy to always talk socks and answer questions, uh, although my Twitter account is not very interesting.
1: All right. Well, I definitely recommend following Jake nonetheless and definitely uh, check out Over the Monster. Uh, Really appreciate it, man. Uh, This has been a ton of fun and I hope you have a good rest of your week. All right. Thanks so much, James. I appreciate it.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of Americans are deficient in.